Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com, and here are my thoughts on the Democratic debate. This is the third Democratic debate. Unlike the previous debates where you had two nights, 20 candidates, which I actually preferred, uh, it was nice to hear more voices. Um, a lot of the voices that I liked were not on stage. Like, in the previous debates, of course, I liked Tulsi. I enjoyed her anti-warness. I liked Delaney. I liked his sort of more realistic approach on healthcare while still disagreed with him on what should be done policy-wise, at least understood sort of what the, the problems with the extreme, more extreme positions and the implications of them were and was, in, was more than willing to, to voice them. Um, I miss Marianne Williamson. Uh, she really kind of captured, and actually I think really articulated well sort of the more psychological, uh, overall cultural aspect of what's going on in the country and, and um, the dynamics of politics and whatnot. I don't think people give her enough credit for at least in that regard, her understanding of what's going on around her and her ability to articulate it. So uh, I, was, I was sad to see her not there. At least it was Andrew Yang, and Andrew Yang was certainly the voice of reason tonight, having a lot of really solid answers. Um, again, well, I disagree with, you know, the freedom dividend. I disagree uh, with sort of a lot of the proactive government-type views expressed during the debate. I think Yang... Uh, made a lot of very solid points on what the problems are and where we should be looking to the solutions. So, for example, in education, saying, you know, yes, you could pay teachers more, you can invest more in schools, but studies show that's like 30% of what affects a child's outcome, and you're leaving 70% on the table, which is what happens outside of school, homes, whatnot. So to the extent that we as a society need to reach out to each other and and take care of our own homes and improve the ability for our homes to be better, which is sort of the logic of the freedom dividend in the sense that if he gives everybody $1,000 a month, they'll be better off. I think you just have better economic policy, lower taxes, less regulations and whatnot. You'll have that same effect without having to have the whole confiscatory tax and redistribution element. But the premise is there. The idea is you need to fix households. And when you fix households, you fix education. You fix crime. Um, you fix a lot of things. Because households that are healthier economically can be healthier health-wise, which will lower health care costs. They will be healthier education-wise because a better home means better education outcomes. Um, but if taxes and regulations are so high that it's it basically you price people out of the ability to start a business, you price people out of the ability to, um, you know, get education because of the way education policy has made higher education and new training very expensive. Um if you make housing so expensive because of regulations and taxes and housing, that basically your entire paycheck gets eaten up by just the cost of putting a roof over your head, along with the cost of the health care, along with the cost of, of growing cost of food, that you have no disposable income to have to reduce the stress in your household that ends up affecting your health, your education outcomes, and whatnot. So yes, I think Andrew Yang is on the right path in the sort of articulation that the answer is helping the household. The, the thing, my only difference is that you don't need a proactive government policy to fix the household. You just need to get government out of the way. Um, well, sort of everybody else's sort of solutions was just like, well, these problems suck. Why hasn't government just made them go away yet? You know, I can't believe government just didn't do it, you know, as if government just does things and does them well. Um because even if, even if government can theoretically do something that theoretically can be good, there's always the issue of, does it do it well? And then if it does it poorly, how can you claw it back? Because it's, really, it's hard to do something as government 
and it's much even harder to stop doing something as a government. Um, and I mean, I feel like this is just lost um, on politicians and lost on a lot of the people on the stage there. So Andrew Yang was good um, overall. I would not be heartbroken if he got the nomination. Um, let's see here. Biden was definitely his best performance out of the debate so far. He was he was strong as uh, far as just, you know, saying what he would say, not taking, you know, not really just taking lip from other people. Um, and he really needed that because he was really, you know, people were, even though he was a front runner, uh, I, I can definitely feel you get that vibe. It's like, why is he the front runner? Like, why, why is he the right choice? And while I disagree with Biden pretty much most, if not all things, from the point of view of sort of that voter who's watching this, I can see how he might have come across uh, strong and, and passionate about what he's saying and, and sounding experienced. Um, okay, so, you know, I can, I can definitely see this was not a bad night for him. Warren wasn't really... I didn't remember really hearing that much from Elizabeth Warren. Um, and... Um, I don't remember if there's anything in particular that, and I mean, I like at least the paying lip service of to choice that people like Buttigieg and uh, Harris did, where they basically, well, I don't know if Harris did, but for sure, um, Buttigieg and some of the others where they're talking about, hey, you can choose a private plan if you want. I mean, it's still missing the point in many ways, but the idea is that they're, you know, speaking that, hey, you know what? Government shouldn't be eliminating choices for people. That's at least rhetorically something. And, um, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are just kind of in la-la land talking about how you, you just need to eliminate private insurance. And don't worry, people will be able to see whatever doctor they want. Like, like doctors have unlimited time. So if everybody just had Medicare for all, and it's not like Medicare for all will be free. I mean, you're going to have higher taxes. You're going to have a deductible. And that, you know, theoretically, it's supposed to be less than maybe what you're paying now. But that's not a sure thing. And when you factor in the amount of new demand that there's going to be for healthcare, okay, so more people using it, the question is, do any efficiencies from scale actually outweigh the increases in usage? I mean, you'll also have decreases in usage because you won't have people being, well, it depends, again, it depends, the problem is you can't just say, okay, government pays for things and it works one way or another, there's all sorts of little aspects about the actual design of the policy and how it would be executed that's going to determine sort of what the end effects are. And that's always the part, and th- which is why I prefer market solutions, because they fall, they're on smaller scales. So the, a bad design only affects you on a small scale. Now, of course, yeah, if you took one solution and you just impose it on everybody, you get some benefits of scale. Certainly. Problem is, then you don't see if it, if there's something that's better or something that's worse because there's nothing to compare it against because you've just imposed this one solution on everybody. Um, on top of it, uh, if it's the bad, wrong solution, then the consequences fall on everybody. Um, so you can argue theoretically that, yeah, you know, if we did it for everybody, we can save money here, save money there because there's certain efficiencies, some benefits of scale. But you're losing the knowledge or sort of feedback dynamic of, of a consent because a lot of times the way you know if things are working well is people can withdraw from something okay if mcdonald's is making very bad burgers i can just stop buying them and that signals to mike mcdonald's they need to do something different um you can't really do that with government policies you can't be like you know what this policy isn't working i'm just going to stop following it no then you get thrown in jail 
or punished in some other way. So the problem is there's no feedback mechanism. There's elections, but elections don't necessarily, oftentimes, especially when you're talking about like criminal policies, the people who bad policies fall on, especially in the criminal space, aren't the people who can give any feedback whatsoever because criminals can't vote. Um, and that creates a real bad problem. So this, you, you get some really bad accountability in some of these spaces. Okay, which is why I am for, let's say, restoring votes to people who even people who people think shouldn't vote. Because the more people that vote, the more accountability there is of government. Ideally, you, you would, I'd rather the government do less. So I'd rather that, um, you know, many of these things be figured out through enterprise or through charity or through community uh, actions. But to the extent that the government does something, you want everybody having the ability to say yay or nay to some extent. So that way, no, there's no particular group or part that gets kind of ignored or becomes the whipping boy. Because if there's some group that doesn't, like, that has no representation because they can't vote, such as criminals, such as legal residents, then what happens is they become the whipping boy. They become the person that you can always just point to and go, nah, 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 we're going to do the bad things to you, or I'm going to use you as my scapegoat because there's no electoral consequence of doing so. Um... And then there's a whole thing where they talked about socialism and Bernie Sanders and Maduro. And I mean, the thing, you know, the thing is that you can call, um, you can say, hey, you know, I prefer Scandinavia and whatnot. In Scandinavia, they're much more business friendly, uh, you know, so they may have, you know, high taxes and a welfare state. But when you take a look at their sort of their enterprise and regulations on businesses and whatnot, a lot of that stuff is actually a little bit more hands off. A lot of their government services are, are public-private partnerships. They aren't necessarily as socialist and anti-capitalist as oftentimes portrayed. And there's some good documentaries on places like Sweden um, by and, and papers written by like Johan Norberg to kind of articulate this point. I highly recommend that you read and watch. But um, at the end of the day, Venezuela wasn't always the Venezuela it was now. Okay, I mean, I'm pretty sure Chavez was initially elected democratically. Okay, and so that initially that socialism was democratic. The people voted for it and it became what it became. Eventually, it is possible for a... So, it can't just be what people vote. Whatever the people vote for is okay. Whatever society democratically hits in the ballot box is justified because it was democratically chosen. You can't look at it that way. There's got to be a... a higher sort of rule set. And that's sort of what the constitutional sort of the point of the constitutional republic thing is. Like, you know, the idea was like, yes, you decide a lot of your leaders through many democratic elections, but there are certain barriers put into place to prevent someone from, to prevent the election of a dictator or whatnot. The constitution creating certain legal barriers, uh, sort of the different states having different sort of representative rules to uh, to make sure that you know you never it never quickly just turns into a dictatorship like it happened in Venezuela. Um, and again, even that doesn't necessarily work forever, as we've seen like the U.S. Constitution and all those you know firewalls that were put in desi- into the design of the United States while they held off for a pretty good long time. For the most part, they've been eroded away. Okay, so point is, no institution lasts forever. No institution is perfect. There is no perfect way to 
structure governance for a forever function. Okay, every once in a while, institutions fail, uh, institutions deteriorate, they grow, whatever. Okay, which is why you want a free market where institutions can rise and fall. So that way, when institutions do become stale, when they do start falling apart, new ones can replace them. Okay, and that you think, well, replace like a country? No, but the thing is that if our if what governs our life clearly physical places, but but voluntary groups that we're part of, and this whole idea of physical, you know, it becomes a lot more interesting. So. Um, otherwise, that's sort of my take on the democratic debate. Um, other people in the debate, Julian Castro had some moments, and yeah, I, I guess he did kind of come across a little petty when he attacked Joe Biden. Um, he wasn't as all right as he was in previous debates. He had a couple good moments, um, but overall, kind of came off a little annoyed most of the time. Then um, Clover Shard didn't say anything all too interesting. Um... Kamala just really annoys me considering her record with criminal justice. So it's just, and then she, but she's just, she puts on, always puts on a really good performance, um, which is why she's doing well in this race. Um, she is a politically savvy person. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, no matter how the election goes, uh, I'm not too optimistic about national governance per se, but I'm optimistic for the nation. There are a lot of reasons to be optimistic because technology offers us a lot of opportunities to be able to just not have to worry about what all these bureaucrats want to do, okay? And that's the things, that's, that's the, you know, we need to continue the political battle to make sure that they don't gain more ground and pick up an inch whenever we can, but at the same time, we need to take a look at the technologies and innovations that are going to empower us and really make sure that yeah, that it's it's impossible or much harder for bureaucrats and those who want to control us to really be able to gain ground. So my name is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com. Have a great day and enjoy.